Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and I'm joined today by Gary McPherson, the Senior Managing Partner of McPherson Financial Partners. Thanks for coming on the show today, Gary. Definitely. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You are definitely a great example of Cambridge Stronger. So let's start off by you sharing your story with us. How did you get where you are today? Certainly. With financial services in general, I basically say that I started at what would be considered a hedge fund. It was a company called Campbell and Company in Towson, Maryland that did private and public managed futures funds. So that was my first exposure really to financial services. So I actually had an opportunity. I was in the administration department working with all different member firms. So independent firms, big brokerage houses, things of that nature to kind of understand them what I would be talking to the different advisors. So it kind of gave me a glimpse to see where I might want to go if I ever left where I was at to become an advisor and, and where I might not want to go. Then from there, I luckily got a position with a financial advisor who was a veteran advisor and needed help managing his practice. He brought me on mainly to start with his investment program to work on that and then had me trained on retirement plans. And, and that was a big foundation of his practice because he had a big benefits practice. So with that, I did the retirement plans for the benefits practice. I did the individual investment services for the individual clients, as well as the financial planning. So it was a pretty well-rounded education through working with him. And then when I left him in 2012 to go out on my own, I basically took the things I liked the most about what I was doing to basically create my own practice to where I have a foundation working with retirement plans, which then gives me the, the flexibility and the time to really spend the time with my individual clients. It's a great story. So I often hear how intimidating it can be at that exact moment when you choose and make that decision to go out on your own, as you put it. Talk about that a little bit. How did you, did you experience those types of feelings and what inspired you and kept you moving forward as you were trying to decide if that was the right thing for you? I definitely did. I started at a, a firm different from Cambridge initially, and I started that firm because they had a draw because I didn't think I had a, a well-connected network to really start my practice or a way to generate clients initially right out the gate. And I had that as a fallback. What I figured out about myself is that I'm, I'm a pretty good storyteller. So I went and networked everywhere I could think of and everywhere I could go and basically told people of the practice I was building. So I didn't really have it, but I told them what it looked like so they could envision it. And they were right there with me so that they were like, well, wait a second. You know, I think me or my client needs to kind of talk to you or work with you. So it was that basically building that structure, even if it was mentally, to basically convey that to the different people who became clients. Great technique. It is likely one of the greatest challenges about coming into our independent space. We don't, we haven't done a very good job of building that entry roadway for people, in my opinion. So it's just very inspiring for a lot of our listeners who might be right on the bubble of thinking about taking that kind of a risk and they get different ideas from hearing your journey. So thank you for that. So you talked about retirement plans. I know your retirement plans have four keys to success. I believe they are consulting, investment advisory, communication, and vendor management. 
So explain to our listeners how you go about those four steps, those keys to success with your clients. With that, basically it starts with understanding the client and what their needs are. So when I work with a client, my first question is, what is the 401k to you? Or what is the retirement plan to you? What is it trying to achieve and who's it for? Is it for just the owner or mainly for the owner? Is it for just the employees? I have some plans that are literally more for the employees, not really about the owner. And you go about those plans differently. So once you understand that, then you can say, okay, now we can start to figure out plan design. So that initial consultation is really to figure out what the plan's trying to achieve. Then you go from there to then look at the demographics of the company to then decide, okay, what other features do we need that would help these different participants to be successful within the plan, which inevitably would make the plan successful. And then ongoing compliance, making sure that everything is up to date. And we have a structured process of reviewing the plan and when we go over everything. And then the vendor management that within every two years that I go back and and benchmark the vendors and at the same time benchmark myself to make sure everything is in line, especially with fees, because that's, you know, a big ticket item with most people, especially small businesses. Talk about the communication component in a little bit more detail. What What do you find are the most effective ways to communicate? So with most of my plans, especially a lot of the larger ones, they are government contractors or big companies that they have people at different locations. Some are very far locations that I'm not near. Therefore, we do a lot of webinars where we basically record the webinars and we publish it on their internet. But at the same time, when I'm doing a live education meeting or enrollment meeting, I will record it at the same time and have people sign into the webinar if they can't make it live. So we do a little bit of both. And then beyond that, I make myself readily available to the different participants and different employees that I, you know, say, just reach out to me, send me an email, send me a call. So periodically, they're just reaching out to me for different things, whether it's just how do I, you know, enroll on the plan? What do I do with my rollover from my former company? How do I figure out what to do as far as my investment options and things like investment options with that kind of communication? To me, it starts with going to a tool like Riskalyze to analyze their risk tolerance so that then I can make a recommendation to them to guide them down that path. Because without having that knowledge, I wouldn't be able to do that. But I make myself available live when I can, do the webinars, make myself readily available through phone or email. And you do spend a lot of time educating, right? In, the, in this particular arena, which is really important. They kind of go hand in hand in my mind. Correct. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here and getting to know you. I am aware that family is a real priority for you. Your son interned with you in your office. So talk about how you look to offer guidance to your son and your daughter. Why don't you start off by telling us about your family in general? Why don't we start there? And then um, a little bit about... Uh, guiding them as they make career choices. Sure. And in my initial degrees in psychology, and one of my focuses was organizational psychology, kind of figuring out where people can excel with their skills and their personality traits, things like that. So when I'm talking to somebody, whether a client or even with my children, I'm always kind of thinking of that in the background, like, you know, with, you know, your strong skills for my son with his math, it makes a lot of sense for certain 
task for you to do that you're going to excel in more than somebody like my daughter, who's more of a personality person and she's more into writing and things of that nature. So my son is a ninth grader in high school. So this was our first opportunity to have him intern with me. So he did some different things and then he shadowed me on some meetings so that when I did like a education meeting, I could take him with me and I had a tablet so he can go through the Riskalyze tool to get somebody set up to just go through things like that and kind of teach him to understand, okay, we're doing this so we can get an idea of about that person and their investment style. So where their risk is and how much they want to take chance. So he fully understand that, especially by taking statistics to understand a little bit about chance. So it was definitely to, exciting for him to be involved in it and be involved in business and as well, good opportunity for him to be exposed to, you know, talk with clients and things of that nature. And then just in general to work with me in the office of little different tasks to understand also that with any job, there, there's always that administrative stuff you have to do as well, which is just as important. With my daughter, basically I talked to her about finances. So, and, and I think we had mentioned it in one of the earlier podcasts we talked about in with both my son and daughter, savings is a big goal for us. So we do a lot of talking about savings and what we're doing. So we always talk about when they get different gifts, you know, maybe we take part of it and they can spend, spend it on something they want. And then part of it, they're saving and go over those wants and needs with them, because that's, again, the same type of education I'm doing with my clients, going over wants and needs. And I did some financial literacy classes over the past couple of years. And when I did the financial literacy class with some young adults with some special needs, I took my daughter along to help give out papers and, and hear some of the things, but she was definitely engaged during that time period and going over with the different individuals, the same thing that I do with them as I do with clients again, like going over what's a budget and why do we need a budget to kind of give us that blueprint of how our money's being spent and how, you know, to make sure where it goes. I find it intriguing, even if through Efforts like that, we don't inspire the next generation to become financial advisors. At the very least, it's really important to teach them financial literacy. And you and I have talked in the past about how perhaps generationally money just wasn't talked about a lot at our tables when we were young. Uh, even today, my own father gets extremely uncomfortable if I start to talk about anything, you know, that has to do with their financial situation. But I think just planting those seeds at very early ages is going to make really strong, hopefully, investors and people who do know how to save, and maybe they will work their way out of some of the mess that perhaps generations before them have created. Right. And even this summer, I did kind of like an investment challenge with my son and with my nephew that we basically, I, I had a account, small account that I set up under my name and then had them choose investments to invest in to see how they did. And we kind of rated them, but I, you know, I went over with them specifically, okay, how do you look at a company and why we would pick one company over another? And specifically to make sure they would see an actual change in it, I basically put a cap on what the share price was and made them understand why I put that cap. Because if we had more shares and that the stock did better, 
we would see more in that account and we would see it basically go up more. We can't just go with the name we know. We have to actually do some research and make it a sound advice when we're making those investments. So I think that, again, like you said, is going to pay value during you know the long run for them. Yeah, for parents to understand, as you were talking, I realized or remembered. So my son's a little bit older than yours, but he's very much into a card game, Magic of the Gathering or something like that. Those cards are worth money. Some of those cards, they're like unique, right? So he is translating investment skills as I listen to him talk to me about different cards and what they're worth and what he bought them at and how he could make money if he sold them and when and that kind of thing. Or he's not going to use certain cards because he wants to sell them later. And I realize the small things that they do in their lives, as long as we point it out to them, they can translate that into other things as they turn into adults. So that's really awesome. Yeah, my son's more of a more of a gamer. So with that, it's, you know, what games he could buy or when he can buy them. So we take those time of when that could happen. Cause it's not just, oh yeah, I need a new game. Like, no, we, we need to make a decision of when you could have that new game and we can't have everything. So that's great. And then you get that, oh dad, but they're learning behind the scenes for sure. So Gary, talk about how you make a difference in the lives of your clients. I truly believe that Cambridge attracts financial professionals who have the same core values and purpose as Cambridge does. And, and we certainly strive to make a difference in the lives of our clients, which tells me that I'm sure you have a variety of ways you make a difference in the lives of your clients. Share that with us. So with my niche really being strongly retirement, you know, with the retirement plans and also working with those participants, and then a lot of times working with them when they leave those companies or they do retire, I think that's probably the biggest and the strongest connection I have with them. I have several clients that literally just retired during COVID, which was a scary time, but we were prepared, which when I really started in the industry uh, within being a financial advisor and under the rep that I was with, it was in 2008. And I got to see there was retirement plans and what those people were doing and then see those huge losses. So what I do a lot of times is I'm a much more conservative advisor. So that's one of those conversations I initially start with a client is that I'm going to be a more conservative advisor because I'm doing more planning than I am just investment management that I, I need to be the person who has your goals in mind and could honestly say, we're going to reach those goals. And that's my key focus is those goals. So I'll be much more conservative than taking a lot of risk that we just don't need to. And with that, I think it puts them at ease. So as I said, like I had, you know, two or three clients that were able to retire during COVID without any worries, because we had already set, we use more or less a bucket strategy where we set certain money aside for the beginning part of their retirement that already had portions of their money in cash that was going to start their income plan. So by doing that, we weren't worried about what the investment markets were doing and they could easily retire without worrying about it because now we have another year or two before we even have to worry about the next time we create that next income bucket. So by doing that, it gives them that peace of mind. And I think that's my overall goal is to find out what their goals are and help them achieve those goals and ultimately give them that peace of mind that they, they're all right and they can do this. So many of them are like, 
what if something happens to you? So then it goes into, I have a succession plan and everything is documented. So somebody could easily step in if they had to. Leads me to wonder if you, I'm sure you have, if you would share with us, how do you turn away a client that doesn't feel right? Usually it's at the very beginning. It usually is when I initially meet a client, we have a pretty candid conversation and I explain to them my process and what I do. And as I said, if there's somebody that's looking for certain returns or they're looking for things of that nature, that that's not the type of advisor I am. I'm more of going to be doing your planning and looking at your overall picture. I use a lot of third-party money managers to help us with a portfolio because of the because of that I am focused on your planning. I can't always focus on just creating a portfolio and managing that as well as I can move it to a third-party money manager that that's all they're doing all day long. So I have those conversations of me using a third-party money manager, how I do a lot of planning and everything I do is based on planning. And if that's the right connection and if that's the right fit, although if there was a client that was unresponsive. So if we go into some of my retirement plans, I've had in the past one or two that weren't responsive of the system and the process that I have that they didn't want to do the follow through of reviewing the plan on an annual basis. And if I can't do that, then to me, it's not in compliance and it's not the process that I use. Therefore, I had to basically say that I'm not the advisor for you. And we had to part ways. So as I said, like I explained my process pretty thoroughly. And along the way, I stated that process. And as long as we don't deviate or we don't have issues, then we should be fine. But if we do, then we have a separate conversation that they need to find somebody else that it just won't work. A lesson easier learned once somebody has their business rolling, I'm sure, because you're probably... As you take that risk we talked about earlier, somewhat motivated to take everybody that comes to the table so that you can start to build something. But I do hear from a lot of our quality financial professionals that if you figure out who you are and build your value proposition from the very beginning and choose who you work with, that your business actually grows faster. And that's a little counterintuitive, I think, to people just getting into our business. Yeah, the, the more time you take in thinking about how your business should look and then who you really want to work with and who you best can work with, and then if you stick to that and build it in that function, that's really going to make you successful. And it may take longer, which in my business, it did definitely take longer because of the fact that I wanted to build the business with a foundation with retirement plans, which are a little bit more tricky than just picking up an individual client such that. I had a process of how I was going about to find them. I stayed for that process. It took a lot longer. So it was the very nerve wracking in the beginning. And then once it got started, it kind of kept going from there and things have been growing nicely. But definitely in the beginning, if you do it that way, then you don't have too many times that you're going to have clients that aren't the right clients with you. And as I said, by having those initial conversations with some of the individual clients, we can see a lot of times in the very beginning that if it's not going to be the right fit and there's no reason to force it. Do you build your marketing collateral and that front facing entry gateway to work with you in that light as well? Do you try to communicate who you are to 
you know, I, I read a branding book many, many years ago that said to attract the right types of clients, you have to repel the ones that are not a good fit. Do you keep that in mind when you're building your marketing plans? As much as I, I can, and always to think about it and always try to go back on an annual basis to look at marketing collateral and things of that nature, because times change and people's understanding of our terminology changes. So you want to always make sure you have it in a terminology that they understand. And that really provides the, the understanding of what your process is. So, you know, I may create something and then I'll have other people who are non-financial service people read it and say, okay, what does this say? Or what do you read this as? Or what do you see it as? Just to make sure that they understand that. And that brings about another process that some advisors and I worked on about a year or two ago. And we said to our top clients, we went to them and we said, okay, explain to me who I am to you. And they were like, well, you're my money guy. And you're like, no, like, that's not how I want you to, to see me. Like, it's more than that. And, and here's why we asked that question, because as far as referrals being a great source of additional clients for our business, if your client isn't portraying you to that next person in the right light or the right way, it may not happen. So that's why we asked that question to then shape that question to a better answer from that client so they understand more of what you're doing. So it's twofold. Now they're understanding fully what you're doing and then there's no opportunities missed. So, you know, if there was an opportunity of possibly selling insurance that they were like, oh, I forgot you did insurance, things of that nature. But it's, it's even more that they understand all the work you're doing for them. So nothing's lost and they see the value, but even more so that then when they communicate that out to the world, to their friends and family, that is being communicated the way you want it to be communicated. Brilliant ideas. I love it. Building a feedback loop and probably in some ways having to set your ego aside a little bit because you put all this work into something to find out that they still only interpreted you were the money guy. But as long as you can do that, I, I think that's, that's great. I think our listeners should take some serious value from that. Thanks for sharing. Definitely. So I also know... I don't know how you find the time in listening to your journey and your story, but I know that one of the other things that you enjoy doing is giving back. Talk to us about how you give back to your community and also how you get your family involved in those things. So my family likes to find ways to volunteer and give back and do things. So we, we try to really incorporate that with our children to be active members of our community. So especially we start with MLK typically and find volunteer opportunities. And, and the, not this past year because of COVID, but the years prior, we typically in our community, they have basically like a conference where there's all these different volunteer places that you can go to this one conference. And in that conference center, there's all these different booths and at those booths, you can help out. So one's part of the soup kitchen. So you're helping to basically put food into the boxes for the soup kitchen. Then you're going to this other area that you're making bracelets for children in the hospital and things of that nature. You might go to another area where you're stuffing stuffed animals for children or something of that nature. So it's literally a conference center of all different type of volunteer opportunities that the kids are like, well, this is interesting. Like there's all these different things I could pick and choose what I want to do, but yet I'm still giving back. What a novel idea to make giving back easy. Right. Like literally you just described a trade show for charitable efforts and charitable giving and maybe a lot more communities than I know of do those types of things, but that's really, really cool. 
Right. So we, we start with that. And then, as I said, the other thing that I've been doing the past couple of years is the financial literacy. I have a group of student athletes that are African-Americans that achieve greatly. There's a foundation that I know of that has basically at times asked me to kind of come in and help them that with the student athletes, they don't need help as much as people think that I'm giving them something. It's more or less I'm kind of educating them on what they need to know and what they need to look out for with financial services as they go along. The majority of them, when they're connected with the foundation, it's when they're coming out of high school, they're going to college, and some of them are in college, and some of them have just graduated. They usually pick about five or six kids per year. And the way they're picking these kids is that they're picking kids that have at least a 3.5 GPA or higher coming out of high school and are also a top athlete. And they picked football because of when they do their award ceremony. So they're top 10 or top 20 in high school football across the country. And they have to have a 3.5 GPA or higher. And then they basically contact the school to make sure it's a real GPA. And then they also have to be doing community service that they have to be involved in clubs, community service, and all kinds of things. And they basically go to these kids and they basically nominate them for the award that they give out annually. And they say, we're nominating you because you're giving back and because you're focused on academics, but at the same time, you're also a star athlete. So you're doing everything. So you are truly a role model, especially in the African-American community. Because a lot of times with star athletes, you're hearing about all the negatives. We don't hear about many of the positives. So they're taking these kids and saying, now you're the role model. So they do teen summits all over the nation and introduce them to different kids, especially in the lower income communities and say, it's great to follow athletes, but you need to follow these guys. These guys are going to college, follow these guys and see what they do. And about 40 to 50% of them make it into the NFL. Some of them don't, some of them do. But in, and when the ones do, what the foundation is really focused on is to have them continue their community service, have them continue giving back, and then be there that if they falter somehow, they can be like mentors to them and, and step in and do things like that. Where I kind of have come in over the couple of years is to explain to them, you know, what a financial advisor does and, and what they should look at, how they should find a financial advisor, because a lot of times, especially with with professional athletes, a lot of times they choose the wrong advisors. And that's usually the biggest downfall for them that get them into trouble in that sense. So I just give them keys on those things. And then again, go over the same financial literacy that I do pretty much with my kids or anybody else with the budgeting and thinking about that, even when they're in college. Because a lot of times I know when I was in college, that was when I was first really personally exposed to credit cards. And credit cards aren't a thing that should just be freely used, even though that's what I did when I was in college, but try to, you know, incite some, you know, understanding to them that it's not free money. You got to pay that bill and, and you can't let it slide because then it's going to mess your credit up. And then you can't get things like insurance at good rates and, and those different effects of that those things have. So the early you start, the better you are. And then also to think about like, okay, when you do organize a foundation of your own, because you're a professional athlete, there are a lot of different things you could do. So just to give them tips on those. And then the most recent thing is that I have a school that I'm on the board for, an independent elementary school, and have a lot of fun with that. 
to just basically help with their guidance and kind of see what they do. So to understand like their financial statements and look at those and, and what else we can do to kind of help the school continue and make sure it stays on as long as it can. That's awesome. So with your successful career, everything you've just talked about, you sleep probably an hour a night because based on my calculations, there's not a lot of time left. But I like to close these things by letting our listeners hear about the life balance that's important to our financial professionals and that we can have great success and still have hobbies and other priorities such as our families. So talk about what you do in your free time, any free time that you possibly have. <laughs> so, so free time, free time, even for me, like it, I incorporate my work with free time a lot of times. So what I mean by that is if, because I have my clients pretty much all over the country, so in different states and such, that a lot of times I do web meetings with them, but if I'm within two hours of them, I'll make sure that I make a meeting with them that it's live. Because I think in-person meetings are great and, and they're definitely more beneficial. So sometimes I'll be like to the wife, like, oh, we're gonna go to this certain state here that we're gonna go on vacation. And like that one day out of the five, I'm gonna take a day trip that I'm gonna go somewhere and I'll be back later. So sometimes I will do that to make sure that the family's still having our time and we still have tons of fun, but I'm still doing things that I'm still connecting with my clients and not to get in the way with the family too much, but I, I will at times do that. And as far as hobbies, probably the biggest thing that I've done a lot, especially with COVID is, is getting back to like bike riding. So I do a good deal of bike riding and with my son, it was a great way for us to connect and a great way for us to like exercise easily. So we did a, a good deal of bike riding where especially in the beginning of COVID, we were doing somewhere between four to eight miles a day. So just bike riding all over town and stuff as much as we could and play like a little bit of basketball, but getting a little bit old for that. But those are pretty much the main hobbies. I believe what you described in terms of those family slash one day business trips are pretty common. Those are, that's called organizational skills in our world, right? <laughs> we're very organized and we know where we're going to go and try to work everything in. So I think that's awesome. And COVID brought some interesting things on the positive side to the world, I think. So just listening to you talk about how you leveraged that maybe extra time you didn't expect to have with your son at home to get healthy is one of the positives. So thank you for sharing. You're a perfect example of Cambridge Stronger. Just like every time I talk to you, I walk away inspired. Any last words for our listeners? No, I think that's it. I think, as I said, the, the biggest thing is to have vision. Don't hold yourself back because especially with vision, there's nothing holding yourself back but yourself. So envision the best of it and then figure out how you can make that work. And that's kind of how I created it. I had a vision before it was ever created. And that's what I went out there and told people that I had. And then everything backed into where it is now. And be flexible along the way. Did you ever have to change? Not really flexible, only in the sense of, like you said, maybe in the very beginning, taking one or two clients that I was like, uh, I don't know that this is my client, but I'm just going to take it and see if it works. But you know, not really. As far as the main plan, like everything really went the direction I wanted it to, which was great. The biggest thing was the time. Like it did, definitely took more time because of the fact I had a goal in, in a process and a set plan that I wanted that I wasn't willing to just give up. 
So to do that, it took, took more time. Words of wisdom today, upfront planning and stick to your vision, right? Don't give up. Right. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for coming on the show. And I look forward to seeing you in person someday very soon. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at CambridgeStronger.com. That's CambridgeStronger.com.